Welcome to another Alia Graphic Creator Chat. I'm Jurgi Urrutia from Kingston Libraries in Victoria, speaking from Bumburong land of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded, and we need a treaty. Today, we have an amazing guest who's just published a great graphic novel that features marsupial outlaws and all the rebels of Australia's war in Vietnam. So, Miranda Burton, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Yogi. Um, I'm speaking to you from Wurundjeri land, a little north from you. It's a wild and blustery night, so um, if there's any loud bangs, it's just a tree falling on my roof. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, we actually, you remember the storms that happened about a month, month and a half ago? Uh, yes. Big ones? Yes. Yeah, one of the librarians that works with me lives in the Dandenongs and they had a tree or two fall into their house and, yeah, all the back of their house was destroyed and he's been without electricity for weeks. Yeah, it's been so, yeah. down there. Yeah, we have a friend who's uh, he's still living in a hotel because his house was destroyed by trees falling on it. Mm. Mm. Terrible. I know you came into comics from animation. But did you read comics as a kid? And if so, which ones? I did. I did. So uh, the ones that come to mind are certainly Peanuts comics. My my mother used to go to the Adelaide Central Markets on the weekends and she used to pick up uh, secondhand Peanuts comics for 20 cents and bring them home. And I remember devouring them. I really, really loved them. Uh, and, of course, Tintin comics were, were pretty big and I used to... Um, read them over and over again. I think I was drawn into the adventures and the, the you know, all the different places in the world uh, Tintin would travel. Uh, so, yeah, those are the two that, that I think perhaps sparked my love of the, of the medium. Yeah. So you are in the Tintin camp. Uh, I've always been, I enjoyed them, but I've always been there, Asterix camp, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I read Asterix again and again and again and again, and I I could never have enough of them. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate Tintin. Never been a big fan though. Uh, yeah, and uh, what about animation? Since you did animation, um, you know, um, I imagine you watched a lot of cartoons as well. Well, not really, actually. No, no. the the animation. Um, thing came a little bit later. You know, I, I went to art school uh, in the in the early nineties, and uh, you know, one of my friends there said, "You, you, you really like playing with Super Eight uh, film." And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I took him up on that, and I got myself a Super Eight camera, and I started making these kind of quirky uh, stop motion animated films in my bedroom, a little bit sort of sort of in the style of. Well, Wallace and Gromit, but much, much weirder, uh, and um, and and just sort of tried, sort of you know, breathing some life on onto my drawings. I think, yeah, it was it was more of a passion for storytelling. I think that um, that led me into animation. Just, just uh, and and because there's this wonderful scope to animation too. I mean, you can really push the envelope with ideas, and and sort of you know, go into sort of surreal landscapes very easily in, in ways that you can't in, in live action. That's that's what I love the most about animation. Mm -hmm. It just, 
yeah, there are no rules really. You can do anything you want, and you can really bend things mm. and go really surreal. And somehow in animation, it just works. You know, mm. um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time, and I've never had patience for that. Mm. Um, but uh, but I do love the medium. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Because I, I studied, I did media studies. Okay. Before librarianship and all that. Mm. Yeah. So, I, I, and I've made some short films and things like that, but animation, I just don't have the patience for it. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, what um, artists or comics, uh, comics have influenced you as a creator? Well, uh, there's certainly a number of artists which have shaped um, my creative practice and, and influenced me and of course you know because uh sorry studying visual arts sort of came quite some time before I started making comics and um you know I certainly was uh, a fan of Japanese woodcuts uh you know many different different artists there I was a, I, I studied printmaking at art school so there's a, a, a lot of um, printmakers that have, have influenced me um, my favourite painter is a Russian painter called Pavel Filanov, and not many people have heard of him. He's sort of he's quite obscure, and he, you know, he died of starvation in the Stalin era. But he did, did the most extraordinary paintings, um, and I have a, a big tome of his um, work that I disappear into for, for inspiration. He's very kind of avant-garde and um, abstract. I mean, I mean, sort of. A lot of figurative work, but but a lot of abstract work too. Um, the German woodcut artist, um, liner cut maker Kat Kolwitz, um, certainly comes up. I think for a lot of uh, cartoonists and those and those early wordless graphic novels um, that were also made in woodcuts, like like Otto Nuckel and Lind Ward and Franz Mazuriel and so forth. They, I find that work really quite mesmerizing and and beautiful. Um, I also grew up in South Australia um, for for a big part of my life, and so some South Australian printmakers too come to mind, like Barbara Hanrahan and um, uh, what's her name, Lydia Groblika. Um, was uh, they both both did um, lino cut work, which was really you know really lively and kind of adventurous and wrote the rules and I, I always love that kind of rebellious spirit in their work. Yeah. yeah. And it's always great to go back to a, a lot of those early kind of works, um, you know, because I guess, I don't know, it's like when they started laying the foundations mm -hmm. of what came next, you know, and really uh, working on that visual language for the first time and, and there's a lot to get out of it. Like me personally, for example, um, I I love watching a lot of silent movies, you know, because they they're so visual in contrast to today, uh, and there's just something really mesmerizing about them and the way that, that their ingenuity and the, the way that they were starting to build this um, the visual narrative and. Uh, and I hear a lot of creators, comic creators, talking about the bootcut, um, you know, uh, works, and also a lot of these early works, uh, early comics. So 
that's really interesting. It's so yeah. interesting that you mentioned silent films because when I was 14, I took myself to the cinema and discovered Charlie Chaplin and I saw this double bill of The Circus and The Kid uh, and I was absolutely mesmerised. I, I really can't, I, I find it dis- difficult to explain why I was so captivated but it probably um, it spoke to me because of that visual language. I mean, it really, there was something that, came across the screen that was so fundamentally human and didn't need many words. No. You know, uh, I've, I've, I've always been a huge Chaplin fan. Mm. Um, my dad used to take me to the cinema from a very, very young age. And, you know, we went to see kids' movies and things like that. But uh, he, he also took me to watch a lot of Buster Keaton and Chaplin movies. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I still love them today. And now I, I actually play them and watch them with my son. Um, just recently, it was actually the hundred year anniversary of the kid, which you just mentioned. Oh. Yeah, so so we watched it together, and you know, it's those movies are timeless. Yeah, Absolutely. they really are. And I think kids actually respond really well to that kind of visual humor as well. Comics creators and influencers there. You, you asked me about um, comics creators too. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I guess some of the really early inspiration came from um, probably Arch Beagleman, um, his, his book Mouse, and and uh, certainly I loved Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. And I could keep listing so many creators, um, but I'll just choose, you know, just a, a few. Uh, I really love Mananea Stani, the Iranian artist's work. Um, you know, Joe Sacco is in the landscape there. I love the Aya books by Marguerite Abue and um, Clement Aubrey. Um, Emmanuel Guibert the photographer. Uh, you know, when about 21 years ago, I moved to Paris and there for about six months and I discovered French comics and I that, that absolutely blew my mind because there was just nothing like that on the American shelves um all the Australian shelves and uh so there was there was just yeah so I think perhaps my art background and the, the French approach to comics making um really resonated with me there was some there was a connect there uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of departed from the sort of commercial style and and certainly the um, the genre of the superhero as well. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. F- French comics, like the French comics industry, is massive, and and they produce a lot of stuff and a lot of great stuff. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate that uh, increasingly. They're, they're translating more, but there's still so much that's not being translated and people don't know about. Yeah. Anyway, um, you were doing animation, but then the, there was a point or a catalyst, or, or was there a, a point or a catalyst when you decided, you know what, I really want to do comics? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I was working at the Disney Animation Studio uh, in Sydney. And I've been working there for about a year and a half, and we were retrenched. And you know, we were 250 pe- people uh, in the studio, and we all lost our jobs. And uh, 
And so there I was at home afterwards and I just somehow just needed to write a comic about this this experience. Uh, and and I think it had, there had there'd been some previous experiences, uh, you know, with with my own interaction with with comics earlier, and obviously that discovery of of comics in France a few years earlier. I'd also met um, Mandy Ord, uh, the Australian cartoonist in France, and uh, we were actually both in an animation festival together. And uh, you know, when she when she um, met me, she gave me some comics uh, that, that and, and she sort of confessed that that was her real, that who was her real love, you know, sort of um, you know, more so than an animation. And, um, and so, you know, in that stage of my life, animation was, was definitely in first place. And, and then suddenly I kind of uh, revisited these little comics that, that Mandy had given me. Uh, this, is, this is when I, after I'd been retrenched. But I'd, but I'd also first made some comics many years before uh, when I was living in London and working as a nanny and I'd written these sort of diary comics capturing my experiences with this uh, young boy I was looking after because he was just so fabulously zany. And so I, I had made some comics before and, and then sort of, you know, discarded them somewhat and so in around 2007 I, I was alone at home and then just, just sort of rediscovered this this medium in a big way and and just suddenly realized that it was something that I really wanted to do more of get better at it and and so this is where I got in touch with Mandy again and she kind of opened the the doors the networks for me and yeah. you know then I started you know submitting work to anthologies and became part of the comics world in Australia. Excellent. Yeah. And I, th I think part, part of the beauty of comics is that in, in, in comparison to movies, for example, you know, you don't need a huge cast, mm. you don't need a, a, a huge crew and massive budget or anything like that. You know, you have pen and paper and, and actually we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, maybe now actually, could, could you speak a little bit about your approach to comics? And do you have an idea and write a script, or do you start thumbnailing without a clear direction and seeing where it takes you? Or what, what's your approach? A bit of both. I'm a little bit hectic, I think. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll accumulate piles of paper with, with notes and thumbnails. And I think slowly over time, they start, you know, finding the, the connecting fibres, uh, you know, more so in my mind really. I start joining the dots and, and uh, it starts evolving and taking shape. Mm, yeah. Mm. But I think it's generally a catalyst in my real life that will spark a, a comic, um, you know, like, like I mean, starting with the nanny experiences in London. That drove me to write comics. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was retrenched from Disney, I, I wanted to respond to that experience. When I wrote my first book, Hidden, that was obviously based on my experiences working with adults with intellectual disabilities in an art room. So, uh, and of course, my most recent book was also was sparked somewhat from an experience, but um, then ultimately wasn't really about me at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later because we'll talk about underground, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but staying a little bit with the process, do you, do you actually work with pen and paper or, or, or you're considering going digital or not? Or uh, the, the project that I've just done uh, was a hybrid of pen and ink but I did my texturing and all um, blocking out of any black areas all digitally and I created some some sort of lino cut style brushes in Illustrator as a software program and so and and I created my own font as well and so that that was such a departure from what I did in my first book because everything, absolutely everything was hand done and, uh, you know, handwritten. But the, but you're still obviously doing most of the illustration. Um, On paper. With your hand, with pen and paper. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that seems to be the way a lot of artists work, um, you know. But yeah, it's it's always interesting to see what uh, how different artists approach it. Yeah, uh, so going back to Hidden, since you mentioned it, it was your first graphic novel. Uh, came out in two thousand eleven. Is that right? So ten years. <laughs> we still have it out of my library, by the way. Uh, how do you see it looking back? I find it actually quite difficult to look back on my work. Uh, it took me about five years to even really look at it again after it had been published. And I think I appreciate it more after some time. Uh, look, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm proud of that work. It's not, it's not a, you know, one of the, the things that I'm really embarrassed about because I have done plenty of comics and I, I'm glad aren't circulating out in the world. Uh, you know, we all have a the embarrassing archive stashed away oh yes <laughs> but that's part of um the creative journey it's pretty important in fact but um yeah i i think i think hidden was a really important project for me it was, it was really a project in which i cut my teeth as a cartoonist and storyteller and I'm I'm very grateful for that experience. And I'll cringe, you know, looking at some of the drawings and, you know, the the, the lettering or whatever. Or yeah, there'll always be that. But you kind of learn to to be a bit forgiving of yourself too, because otherwise you just never put anything out in the world. If you it was yeah, so mm. I think that's right. I think uh, when we create something, we're always really really critical of it and we cringe about it but uh, but uh, i i think a little bit like you you know then some time passes and then you start to appreciate it you know you gain a bit more perspective and you're like you know what it's not great you know they that day i could fix or you know i can do better now but but i'm proud of that it's good you know you were an um, artist in resident at dan Muchen in australia um at, you know, which is um, the former studio of Clifton Pugh, uh, who who um, who also features in 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 the book in Underground. That's right. Now, uh, what was that experience like? That you know, being the artist in residence there. Well, I moved into 
this studio of Clifton Pugh, the former studio of Clifton Pugh in 2011. And uh, it's, it's part of a complex of rambling studios and houses. It's a sort of a little rustic wonderland in, in, the, the, in bushland northeast of, of Melbourne. And, you know, it was a really big change for me because I'd been living in uh, suburban um, Melbourne for quite some time and this was, this was a move to the bush and it was so exciting and new and fresh and invigorating. And, and then, and you, and you know, I, it, it was giving me pers- permission to be an artist and, you know, and, and I really took that on. I really made this kind of conscious decision to acknowledge that I was an artist and that it wasn't just something that existed in the margins of my life. And, you know, I was just approaching my 40s and just sort of went, right, who are you and what are you doing? And, you know, I kind of, I kind of committed. It was a really good time uh, and it was a very experimental time and I was uh, really, really lucky to have access to Clifton's old printing press there and, of course, having a printmaking background, I was able to just literally walk out of my bedroom and a few metres away there'd be a the printing press there and I could just use it whenever I wanted. So I really pushed my printmaking practice in a big way there. Mm. Yeah, that, that sounds, that, that, that's awesome. You know, I mean, having the license to just be creative and to try things and experiment, that's, that's the dream. It is. And the other really great thing was that uh, I was, uh, artist in residence with other artists there as well who were also occupying the other dwellings. So that created a sense of community and connection and conversations and, you know, the sharing of stories and checking in on each other to see how each other's work was going. And and that was just so beautiful, you know, to have that community. Uh, and, um, you know, ultimately it was a story there that was the catalyst for my my graphic novel underground yeah actually um yeah can, can you talk about that so sure. the, the the idea for the new graphic novel came out of your time there so yeah so, so uh in one of those uh sessions sitting around chewing the fat it was shane Pugh, who's one of clifton and marlene's sons told the story of a wombat that uh his parents looked after that was registered for military service in Vietnam around 1972 uh, as an act of civil disobedience. Uh, I later found out that there was this thing called the fill in a falsy campaign where uh, people against the war would register false names to kind of put a spanner in the works in the, in the machinery of, of conscription. And, so, you know, I, I was kind of fascinated by that story and, you know, I, you know why would a wombat be registered for war? I mean, I have um, no connection to the Vietnam War myself and, you know, my family immigrated to Australia in the early 1980s. My parents are not Australian, so, you know, and we're not Vietnamese either, so we had very little connection to this history and uh and of course going through high school in the 1980s i learned nothing about uh vietnam 
and and the war, and it was very very silent. I think I think that was sort of a, and the aftermath uh, of that war saw obviously soldiers come home and then just really disappear into the woodwork and not talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of I followed the wombat essentially, and I found out more about. Uh, you know, what happened when he was re registered and discovered that, you know, he had actually received call-up papers and then had gone underground. And I just got more and more curious. And, of course, that led me to uh, Jean McLean, who's the main protagonist in my, my story, and she was mm -hmm. formerly the convener of the Save Our Sons movement, an, an anti-conscription movement initially, which became more broadly an anti-war movement and uh you know and, and more specifically a, a women's movement and uh I, I met bill cantwell who was in the first battalion and served in vietnam in 1968 and then i met my ho who came to australia in the early 1980s as a refugee and later became the first woman and mayor of the, the city of maribyrnong and what was more kind of fascinating uh, and surprising was that these journeys linked together. And, and so, you know, while the book doesn't document um, my, my journey in any way, in, in, in a weird kind of way, it does. It sort of, you know, it, it, it weaves together what I discovered in, all, along my, my own journey and the people. And yeah. I met and and the stories that that I discovered connecting, yeah, with each other. Yeah, in, in fact, uh, I mean, the, this may be a little bit difficult to talk about, but yeah, you know, in underground, you, you you explore real history and the lives of real people, yeah. um, some of whom you have met at the time of conflict and war, which, as you mentioned, you know you were not really part of, of, of that experience. Uh, how did you go about navigating that and making a graphic novel that stays true to history and those lived experiences? Well, I had to do a lot of research and, and, and catch up, uh, although I later you know, discovered that lots of people in Australia know very little about this history as well. Um, people of my generation uh, and even some even some older yeah I think I think they're beginning to teach it in in schools um, and, and and talk about it more readily but you know it I needed to be true to the history as much as possible obviously you don't change dates you don't you know suddenly um, you know mess with uh, really famous events and battles and what have you uh, and you you want to kind of honor the history as much as possible and um, honor the stories of, of these people that you know, obviously I've written about real people. You know, mm. I, think, I think connecting with lived experience was the most important part of my, my field work and that was what I wanted to honor most of all uh, as respect, respectfully as I possibly could. Um, obviously within within reason and certain parameters i mean obviously when you're kind of listening to people's stories and they're recalling things from the 1960s uh 
you know, you, you can really only capture the, the the essence of what happened rather than every, you know, last detail. I mean, they would have got rid of me very quickly. The, the people I was talking to, if, if I had asked them now, what were you wearing on the 5th of September, 1967? So you, you have to kind of um, take some creative license. And, of course, in the medium of graphic storytelling, a lot of compressing has to take place as well. You know, when you're talking about, say, uh, Jeannie's experiences, uh, which, you know, obviously involved a lot of protest and organisation of um, demonstrations. It's very, very repetitive over 10 years. And so I'm doing lots of, lots of compressing um, and, and editing there. Was well, it hard to find the balance, you know, touching on those issues and dealing with them but not being too didactic or moralizing and also showing the Australian experience but also the Vietnamese experience and that's actually something that I really liked in the book that you know mm. we, we have we have a few different perspectives you know it's not just seen from one side yeah absolutely yeah I, I definitely didn't want to be a writer who you sort of told the, re the reader what I thought of of the war you know I mean it's what I think is is fairly irrelevant and I think presenting the stories and, and letting the reader sort of figure out what they thought was I, I think a wiser approach um, I think for me after after kind of not only reading so much but also talking to people and and sort of seeing what was what seemed to be held in the public imagination about this war and how how compartmentalized the history was and how se separate uh you know groups of people were imagined to be mm. you know and, and and yet that was sort of quite different from what my actual experience was finding all these people that were connected and that that that, that these people had these stories in relation to one another was this really beautiful discovery for me. And I felt like it was, um, you know, in, in some ways I, I feel like I needed to respond to that public imagination that I discovered. There was, you know, there was this almost this never the twain shall meet, um, you know, in people's imaginations. Oh, the, the protesters, the peace movement, they spat on soldiers and, 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 and you know, that mythology is just so giant in the public imagination and of course mm -hmm. it's just not what I discovered and uh, so you know these these three characters that I've um, presented in the story just because they're presented in relation to one another I think it creates a new level of understanding you know not only does the reader kind of have some compassion for these 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 people's Uh, but you know that they see each other they connect with each other they understand the complexity of each other's experiences and I thought that was a sort of a new configuration of this history to present that that felt meaningful yeah yeah no I, I, uh, that checks out uh, that's what I felt when I was reading it as well so you know uh, and I think it's a great book for um Well, for anyone, but uh, and everyone, but uh, I think it's a great book for secondary schools as well, because um, there are a lot of things that would be really interesting for 
teachers and students to to explore. And I also think that you're talking about conscription, you're talking about something that happened a few decades ago, a war that happened a few decades ago, but really all these things uh, are pretty timeless, I feel. Now, um, what's next for you now? Do you have another graphic novel in mind or, or, or something smaller? No. Because I, I know that graphic novels are a lot of work. They, they are a considerable amount of work. Uh, and so I, I've never actually planned any of my graphic novels, uh, if you know what I mean. They, they kind of were a slow evolution and before I knew it, I was making a graphic novel. It's like, you know, they're, they're hiding in the bushes and they creep up on me. And I'm sure the next project will be similar. Uh, I'd love to make some short works uh, just just to kind of refuel. I mean, the, the underground mm. project was just so big, so yeah. emotionally exhausting as well, being immersed in such difficult history. I feel like I need to perhaps be a little kind of to myself for a little while. Uh, and I'd love to make some, some children's books. In fact, I keep intending mm. to make children's books and, and it's, I get diverted. For example, Underground initially was a children's book manuscript. Yeah, um, called The Wombat Who Wouldn't Do Combat or something. Or, you know, might, might do some children's book manuscripts. Uh, I, I still want to address social yeah. issues in comics but perhaps in short form comics but in terms of a big project uh you know i'm i am take finding some courage to look at some of my own history um which is africa my parents grew up in africa and i know very little about my background and and so, you know I've, I've been lifting the lid off that and asking questions. And since I was a little kid, I've, I've had this connection to Africa in, in ways that, I, that have always been difficult yeah. and, and some of them I haven't fully understood. And, you know, and I just know that the, 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 there's this sort of DNA in, in, of stories in me connected to, to Africa. But at the same time, I really need to bring myself back to Australia, you know, because my family is from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think, like many migrant families, we sort of you always have that tenuous relationship with belonging, and and so, uh, but 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 I, but because I've just done this this project on Australia's involvement in Vietnam, uh, if the Vietnam War. Looking at Australian history was so so uh, illuminating for me, like understanding this place where I live, where we've been, you, you know, I think has been a, a really important part of connecting with this country. And, you know, I guess my work has always looked at the past to try and reimagine the future as well. And I think. I think the more I look at Australian history, uh, you know, maybe maybe that sort of the African history and some of the themes of my of my African history are actually 
quite similar to some of those in Australian history and, and maybe I'll, I'll deal with my own history somehow through Australian storytelling. I'm not sure. It's, it's very, very kind of, um, you know, soup-like in my brain at the moment. I, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Well, well it's, it's, it's definitely a really good idea to, to talk um, and ask questions, you know, while you have time. Like um, if, um, when, when my grandpa passed away, you know, I always felt like there are so many questions that I should have asked. And why didn't I? Um, about the Spanish Civil War, for example, so much that I wanted to know. And, and thankfully, I, I've asked some questions now to Grandma. <laughs> and she's been able to answer some of them, you know, wow. and, and her perspective. And she's told me some really amazing stories. Because um, she, was, she was about 13, I think, um, during the Spanish Civil War. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Young enough to not be in the thick of it, but um, young enough to also know uh, what was going on and to remember it. To finish, uh, we always ask our guests to tell us about three comics or graphic novels that they've read recently or three graphic novels they would like to recommend, maybe three that uh, somehow relate to Underground uh, or inspire you in some way or Whatever way you want to take it. Well, it uh, it just so happens that I'm I'm catching up on reading graphic novels since finishing Underground, which really took me away from the rest of the world. Essentially, I felt like I have been a borough for, for five years, but it's just been wonderful to start reading graphic novels again. Uh, and um, I, I've, I still feel like I've got a long way to go to catch catch up. But I recently read Safta Ahmed, Still Alive, and I feel very proud to be a, be, a, be another Australian publication uh, nestled up sort of close to his uh, in 2021. Such an amazing yeah. book. It's, it's, it's really powerful, um, very unvarnished truth-telling and obviously, a, a, you know, a clarion for, for change. Uh, I I still I've read it twice actually, and I still um, keep just feeling what and imagining what he carried while he he wrote that book, wrote and draw through that book. So uh, you know because I've also had a, an experience where I've been carrying other people's really intense stories yeah. and their personal trauma. I really think about what that was like for for Safta, and I'll probably yeah. talk about with him one day. Um, I've also uh, started reading, I'm only halfway through, but I've been reading Guantanamo Voices, which is edited by Sarah Merck. Uh, she's based in the US. Yeah. These are, these are personal stories from Guantanamo Bay, which, of course, is not something I've, I've you know, known much, much about. It's been sort of a bit of an abstract thing in, you know, far away, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, they're very illuminating. Again, some unvarnished truth-telling, but incredibly humanising as well to be, be hearing essentially unheard heard voices. And finally, you know, because we can't always just read books about the insurmount, almost insurmountable problems in the world that we don't know how to solve, I've been really revelling in Sarah Furt's book, new book. It's a self-published book called uh, Think on the Page. And she has these, you know, beautiful little sort of 
almost diary like reflections and, and vignettes and they're really relatable and they speak to you know our very familiar experience of human vulnerability and just trying to navigate the day-to-day things and uh, it's a sort of book that you know you curl up within bed uh, and just feel, almost feel a bit validated and you know and very human yeah three great books well thank you thank you for joining us and thank you for the chat uh underground is out now please go and get it and um and buy it or borrow it from a library and um yeah and uh, we look forward to see what you do in the future thank you very much yogi thanks for listening to alia graphic podcast hit the subscribe button on our youtube page and subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts you can also follow us on twitter at alia graphic Email us at aliagraphicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliagraphic.blogspot.com for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.